The following sermon is brought to you by Open Bible Fellowship in Kingston, Ontario. Have a word of prayer, then we'll open God's word together, okay? Father, thank you, Lord, that you are our great God, sovereign over all things, worthy of all our praise and worthy of all glory. And Father, we come now because we want to not only give you praise, we want to hear from you. And in response to the hearing from your word, we pray, Lord, that we would even give you more praise. Father, we come because we're, we are a people who so often forget and we fail to give you the glory that we need to. And we ask you to forgive us for that. And we need you, Lord, by your spirit to just stir us in the depths of our soul to appreciate the relationship that we have with you. And so, Lord, use us, I pray, and now may the Spirit of God just guide us in your word, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark, the Gospel of Mark. We are continuing at the end of chapter 4. And um, we're looking at verses 21 to 25 today. Last week, we looked at the parable of the sower. And we talked about in that parable that we as believers have no ability to create soil change. That is a work of the sovereign God, that is a work of the Spirit of God. Our job is simply to be obedient and throw the seed, which is the Word of God, to, to share the Word, put the Word out. But Jesus was saying in the relationship with that, let me explain to you the nature of the kingdom. Let me explain to you what kind of results you will get. And I shared with you last week the fact that I was naive in thinking that I can just walk into a church that didn't, has never heard the gospel and just tell them the truth and they're going to, oh yeah, I got it. And they're going to come flocking to Christ. And it didn't happen um, because of the fact that they, some people who attend church just are those rocky paths. And some people who attend church uh, attend for the wrong reasons and they're like the rocks and, and you know, their soil's wrong. And we can certainly pray for the God to move and, and awaken that and change that. And we need to do that. Um, but at the same time, we, Jesus said, just be aware that this is the nature of the kingdom. And he spoke to them in parables. And in, we said last week the fact that the parables were spoken because those who really sought the Lord and were there to seek out truth, they would find truth. And they would find the understanding. So this week I've been kind of thinking about this whole concept of truth. And realizing that no matter what you do, you turn on the news. Are you actually seeing truth being portrayed to you when you turn on CNN or CBC or whatever the online news item is? Is that the truth of what's really happening? Or the perspective of the anchor or the perspective of the channel itself who may be more left-wing are we actually hearing truth being told to us is that really the situation but it's the same on almost everything you i i love history i love studying history i love studying church history i love anything of history but you always realize history is always told by the victors that's who records the the truth and so when you read even historical books, are you really reading truth? 
And so we have become almost cynical today in, in thinking that everything that we see, everything we hear, everything that comes upon us has to be filtered with, yeah, well, there may be the other side of the story. But the one thing that separates Christianity from everything else in the world is that the Bible is the Word of God. And because it is the very breath of God, 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God, because it is the very breath of God, God Himself claims that it, and it alone, is truth. It is truth. It's not a man's perspective. It's not an opinion. It's not some right-wing evangelical, you know, North American culture agenda of religion, but it is truth. And let me just say, in our world of pluralism, it's what's going to get you in the biggest amount of trouble. Because there is an ever-increasing desire to say, if you want to believe in religion, eh, okay. But don't say that your faith is the right one. Because we all worship the same God. And I will tell you right off the bat, that is not what Elijah said when he called out the prophets of Baal. Certainly, it's not just one God and we have many paths to it. We worship the God that is revealed in this, the God of the Bible. Not just God. I had a conversation with a person a while ago and I said, I don't worship God I worship the God of the Bible. So let's make it very clear. Okay? So, it's not, so you can call that, you know, whatever your deity is or whatever your philosophy is, you can call it anything you want, but don't just naturally assume that I'm doing the same thing, that we're worshiping the same entity. We're just getting there in different routes or different paths. I'm worshiping the God that's revealed in the inerrant inspired word. Now, that's probably very different than the God that you're worshiping. In Mark chapter 4, let's just read this. Verse 21, Jesus had just talked about the fact that when the soil is good, the soil produces a harvest, 30, 60, and 100 fold. And we talked about that last week. That when a believer genuinely comes to Christ, there is no misunderstanding. And, and my experience in my church life experience just sheds truth to that is so-and-so a christian uh, well well when they were like 12 years old in sunday school they went forward so no they're not a christian stop with that the bible clearly says that when someone hears the word of god and it falls on good soil that the resulting evidence is at least 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. There's no, yes, they're a believer. And you say, well, they haven't been discipled, and they don't, it doesn't matter. There's something uniquely different, and it's not talking about whether they were discipled or not. It's talking about all of a sudden there is a sense of joy in their heart. There's a sense of, of grace in their heart. There's a sense of love in their heart that wasn't there. They are a new creation. You cannot be a new creation and have zero evidence of it. 
But people who attend church their whole lives just attend church. And I look back upon my years of experience in ministry and think, well, you know, I don't even think they were even saved. They went to church. They had lots of opinions. They were very vocal. But I don't think they were saved. Only God knows those who are his children ultimately. And yet he tells us there is ways by the fruit to see the genuineness of it. And in verse 21, he says this, where we're going to carry on. He said to them, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed and not a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything kept secret to come to light. If anyone has ears, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And we're like, okay, what in the world is Jesus talking about here? Well, he has just talked about the fact that the kingdom of God has a unique way of demonstrating itself. And that is by the results of creating the fruit. And he talked to them in parables because of the fact that the parables were meant to conceal a truth from those who weren't really searching, but to reveal the truth in an even a greater way to those who are truly seeking it. And now he says actually four verses, and each one of these verses is a different emphasis. He says, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? And so he uses an illustration that they would understand. He says this, you have a lamp. And a lamp in that day was a little kind of a, you almost think of a, a gypsy, kind of a, you know, an oil floating in it with a wick. And it wouldn't have given off a lot of light. I mean, just by the nature, it wasn't some fluorescent lamp, you know. And it would have given off a lot of smoke if you've ever had a kerosene lantern. I don't know if you ever have had one, but a kerosene lantern gives off light, but gives off a lot of smoke as well. But it was light even so. And a lamp has a purpose. And the purpose of a lamp is so that you can see, obviously. And Jesus says to them, you don't put a lamp and then stick it under your bed. Because what's the purpose of that? You're not achieving anything with that. You, you don't light a lamp and then put a basket over top of it. Because again, what are you achieving? It, it doesn't make sense. You're... you're nullifying the very purpose of the fact that you lit a light. And so what Jesus was saying was simply this. I am telling you the truth about the kingdom of God. You guys have a responsibility to take that truth and make it public. What is the purpose in me, Jesus was in essence saying, what is the purpose of me doing all that I am doing and gathering my disciples together and gathering these apostles together and sharing with them the nature of the kingdom of God if you guys just sit there like a bunch of lumps and go, oh, that's nice, Jesus. When's dinner? That's, you're destroying the very purpose of what the light is for. It is very important to understand what Jesus was saying. So he was saying this. 
the word of God has been shared to us, to his disciples that were sitting in front of them, but also we can extrapolate that to us and say this, the word of God has been shared to us and it is being shared to now through the preaching of God's word. And it's being taught for a specific purpose. It's not there to entertain. It's not there to fill time of the day. It's not there because it's part of the regular Sunday routine that there's got to be a sermon in there. It's part of the very nature of what Christ did. He shared the word of God so that those who love him could illuminate it out again, could send it out one more time. And those people would then hear the word of God. They would cast a seed themselves. Some of that seed would fall on good soil and that good soil would produce a harvest, and they then themselves would cast it out again. And as they cast it out again, some of that seed would fall on bad soil, some of that seed would fall on rocky soil, but some of it again would fall on good soil, and then they would grow up, and they would cast it out again. And that has been the nature of the increasing kingdom of God for the past 2,000 years. And next week, we're going to look at the parable of the sower, or sorry, the parable of the mustard seed and again how the promise of that increasing kingdom was included in that so even though it seems as if man the vast majority of people reject the word of god christ was telling his disciples be encouraged because the kingdom of god is growing but it's up to you guys to cast out the light not, it, it's, it's not the responsibility of the pastor. It is responsibility of all those who the seed has fallen on good soil. And this is very important. In the last 30, 40, 50, maybe if we can go back. Well, this is 2015. I think if we went back 100 years, there's been a whole change in the psyche of the Christian I, I don't see any of this idea that we have today more than 100 years ago. Probably post-World War I more than anything else. And that is the idea that we bring people to church. And I've done my job. My job is to bring people to church. My job is to have a contest and bring in other people. My job is to do a, a funny routine up front that will attract people to our church. My job is to do whatever is necessary to get people to come to church. And then once they're there, okay, pastor, hit them with the truth. That concept never even existed in the minds of the Christian church, probably post-World War I, or pre-World War I, because it was an understood thing. We, we, we don't get this, this Walmart mentality of bringing people into a building and somehow being in the building is, is my act of evangelism, just getting them there. Christ is saying everybody who has experienced the growth of change in their life because the seed has fallen on good soil has the responsibility equally to let that light shine and not to... It's still a light. Notice, it's still, the light didn't go out. In other words, you don't lose your salvation. It's just that you become a useless light. You've experienced the grace of God in your life. You've experienced life changing. You've experienced forgiveness. And then you're like, 
well, okay. My act of evangelism is, let me see if I can get someone to come to church and, Pastor, you can hit them with the gospel. No. Jesus is saying, now is the opportunity to realize that all of us, all of us, without exception, have the equal responsibility of letting the truth of what the Word of God says be apparent to everyone around us. Realizing that there will be some that who reject and there will be some who respond in emotional, but somewhere along the lines, because the kingdom of God is continuing to increase, you will see good soil as a result of it. And it only makes sense, right? I mean, think of the mathematics of it, right? If you get one person to do one job as opposed to 50 people doing 50 jobs, the, the mathematics of the kingdom of God is increasing. And Jesus says to his disciples, let me just read that one more time to you. He says, a lamp brought in is to be, uh, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket? The answer is no. Or under a bed? No. Or on, on a stand? It's supposed to be put on a stand. Where it actually achieves what it's there for. Signifying that as a believer, you have a purpose. It is to be a light. And then he says, the second thing in verse 22, for nothing is hidden except to be manifested, nor is anything secret except that which is to be made, uh, sorry, um, except to become to light. Simply is this. Your job, my job, the job of everyone who has experienced a life-changing knowledge of Christ, who has come to repentance, who have acknowledged Christ as their Savior and have turned to the Lord and repented of their sins and have experienced the growth of Christ in their life, all of us have the responsibility not only to send out the light, but here it is, to tell the truth. Tell truth. Now, is there such thing as partial truth? Oh yeah. There's a, there are a lot of Christians who tell par, partial truth. In other words, what I'm saying is this, and I'm guilty of this too, so let me just say, I'm in the category as well. When we actually talk to someone about Jesus, we tell them those parts of the gospel truth that we know is not going to offend them. We tell them the truth, but partial truth. We talk about the love of God, which is true. We talk about maybe the holiness of God, that is true. We talk about certain aspects of the gospel that are true. But we also know that in the same way, we don't tell them the full truth sometimes. Because it is those full truths that cause trouble. So let's look at the life of Christ. Here's Jesus. Did everyone love to see Jesus take a loaf and a couple fish and multiply it to feed 5,000? Oh yeah, everyone loved that. That was cool. Like, that was really cool. Did everyone love Jesus walking on top of the water and breaking the whole physics of surface tension? Oh, yeah, everybody loves that kind of stuff. True, 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 true. But then when Jesus says particular issues and particular things, everyone went, ooh, no, no that's, just, no, that's just going a little bit too far. And one of the horrific dangers that we fall into today is that we try to soften the word of God to make it 
more palatable. And that is the danger of seeker-sensitive churches. We soften the Word of God to make it more palatable. Or, here's the other thing, we preach only topical sermons. We have a series, and everything's a series. We never go through a book because we, don't, we want to avoid certain passages. We want everyone to leave church feeling happy and perky and encouraged. And not that I don't want you to be happy, perky, and encouraged, but that's not my job. My job is not to worry about how you feel. That's the Holy Spirit's job. My job is just to sow the seed, right? Sow the seed. Not to worry about the results. And so when you spend your entire life growing up in a church, as I did, preaching topical sermons, you will always avoid those issues that cause trouble. You will avoid those controversial doctrines that divide. And you'll have a huge church and people will love you and they'll flock in and they'll, you, you'll just like, because it, it offends nobody. And it only makes you feel warm and fuzzy week after week after week. Could you imagine going to the dentist if that was the way your dentist operated? You go to the dentist, you have a toothache, he looks, oh, you're wonderful, you're fine, everything's good. Oh, okay. So then you, you leave it, but the pain continues, and you go back, oh, no, everything's wonderful, everything's good, don't worry, be encouraged, be happy. Eventually you get to the realization there's something's wrong. You're not telling me the truth. I have a pain in my body, and you're ignoring it because you just want me to think you're a wonderful dentist. Well, you wouldn't go to that dentist very long because you're going to him for him to bring solution. Why would you go to a church week after week where you know there's a pain or a need or a sorrow or a sin or a particular heartache in your life and the Word, never got, the word of God has never confronted your pain? Eventually you will realize they're not telling me the truth. Jesus says, let me read it, what he says again in verse 22. For nothing is hidden except what is made manifested, nor is anything kept secret except to come to life. Jesus is saying this, that there needs to be a revelation of truth. So again, we go back to Jesus. Did they crucify Jesus because he was a thief? No. Did they crucify Jesus because he was a mean guy? No. Did they crucify Jesus because he was a slanderer? No. Did they crucify Jesus because he was unloving, whatever that means? No. Why did they hate Jesus? The answer is, he confronted them with the full truth of the gospel. And that full truth of the gospel included verses that just turned them and cut them. Now, if you do any study of the church reformation, you go, you go back to Whitfield, you go back to Wycliffe, you go back to John Huss, the great bohemian uh, priest, and onward through the centuries, you will find thousands upon thousands of Christians who were murdered, martyred, and killed when they could have just kept their mouth shut and not explained the full truth. But they would not compromise the message of Jesus to any extent. So let me tell you, and I want you to get your Bibles, and I'm going to give you the four verses that are going to get you in trouble. Okay? Because you need to know what they are. 
And why am I telling you these four verses? Because it is the truth. And it's the four verses that when you share these four verses, people will hate, hate, hate you. They will hate you. And you will be in good company of godly men and women who have gone before you and who fearlessly foretold and proclaimed the truth. So let me give you these four verses. I want you to take your Bibles because I want you to memorize. I want you to circle them. Look them up as I, turn, I mention them to you. Take your Bibles, turn to the passage, and put a big circle around the verse. Put a star beside it. The first, of course, is John 14, 6. We know what that is, right? So if you don't know what it is, turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6. This one, in our culture today, is the absolute truth, and it is not what people want to hear. But it is what it desperately needed to be told. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And here it is. No one comes to the Father except through me. Is that true? Yes or no? Yes or no? It's true. You come to God through any other religion, any other prophet, any other philosophy? No. Is that a, a nice, warm, fuzzy verse that every, everybody wants to hear today? No. But Jesus said it. All right. Well, let's just see what the Apostle Peter says. Because maybe Peter is a little more, you know, modern kind of guy. You know, maybe he's a little more gentle. So turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Maybe, maybe, maybe Peter's a little, you know, gentler. Jesus is kind of harsh, you know. Peter says, Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Let me read it to you. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Ouch. Is that true, yes or no? I think some of you are kind of like, oh, I don't know, I want to tell someone that. Is that true, yes or no? Yes, it is true. Peter said it too. Again, there's salvation in no one else. No one, no one, no one. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's the truth. Now, maybe the Apostle Paul will be a little mellower because Paul, you know, he used to be a Pharisee. He understands. Maybe he'll be a little mellower. So let's look what Paul says in 1 Timothy 2.5. 1 Timothy 2.5, 1 Timothy 2.5, chapter 2, verse 5. Mark this verse. 1 Timothy 2.5. So you got Jesus saying it. You got Peter saying it. See what Paul says. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. That's it. One God and one mediator between the two of them. And it's Jesus Christ. So, Jesus said it's true. The Apostle Peter said it's true. The Apostle Paul says it's true. The Word of God is true. And you can go out and you can be a great Christian and go to church all your life and tell partial truths about who God is. 
but you're not going to be telling what God wants you to tell when you send your, send your light out, and that is telling the full truth. The full truth is, regardless of the silliness of pluralism in this world today, it is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And Jesus said it, Paul said it, and Peter said it, and there's no way around it. And we need to be very bold in our proclamation that it is with Christ and Christ alone. Now, one more verse. One more verse that will stir the pot. And it's found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and verse 11. Philippians chapter 2, so turn there. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. And if people weren't mad at you at this point, this will do it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11 says, this, So at the name of Jesus, there it is, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, in hell too. And every tongue confess. They're going to confess it. They may despise Jesus. They may hate him now. They may use his name as a curse word. But there's coming a day when they're going to bow before the throne of Jesus Christ. And they're going to verbalize with their mouth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Wow. And that's true. So let me just tell you. Are you willing to tell the truth? Because telling the truth means honoring Christ. Telling the truth is sharing the fullness of what Christ is all about. And let me just say this. To have a conversation with somebody and to avoid those four verses is literally the same as you walking up to the face of Jesus and spitting in his eye. That's exactly what you're doing. When for your own satisfaction and for your own pleasure and for the fact that you don't want someone to dislike you, you're willing to avoid the truth. And you mock Christ. And so Jesus says the rest of Mark chapter 4 where he says this. Mark chapter 4 again. Pay attention to what you hear and with the measure you use it will be measured to you and still more will be added and to the one who has more more will be given and from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away now what's Jesus saying he's saying this you're the light you're the one that had the soil that created growth you're the one that produced 30 60 100 fold you're the one that the kingdom of God is going to build on through the centuries. And the way God blesses you for telling truth is this. Well, let me just read it again so I can get the words correct. It says this. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus says this, if you honor me to the full extent of sharing the truth, I will in turn 
honor you to the same extent to which you honored me. Ever wonder why your spiritual life stinks? Because you're getting the measure back to which you give to Christ at the same measure. You see, people think, well, if I just go to church more, if I do more Bible study, if I go to more discipleship classes, if I do, and maybe I'll, my spiritual life will increase. No, it's not going to, because God has promised you that if you are bold in your, the measure in which you proclaim to him, he will be bold in the measure to which he will honor you in return. That's the way God honors you. But he, God doesn't just give you a blank check and say, here, you're a godly person. There you go. You're all done. See you in heaven. He doesn't do that. He says, yes, but if your light's not shining, if your, light's stuck, if your light is under the bed, but it's lit, but it's under the bed, so it only shines a little bit so no one gets offended, well, that's what I'm going to bless you with in return. I'm going to bless you with a crappy spiritual life. And that's what you get. Because that's all you give me. And that's it. And there, we're done. But the promise is, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In other words, if I give the Lord my fullness, he will give me the fullness back. And then notice, and still more will be added. That's the great part of this. You say, Lord, I am going to tell the truth. And if people hate me and think I'm an idiot or whatever, that's between you and them. It's not between me, but I'm not going to back down. I am not going to compromise the gospel. I am not going to be ashamed that I'm a Christian. And Christ says, well done. And I'm not even going to simply bless you in return. I'm going to give you, there's going to be like a bonus blessing in return, as with it. Your spiritual life is going to be rich and full. You're, going to, you're, you're, just, you're just going to be just full of joy. Because there's so few that are willing to do it. When you go back in church history, many, 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 many godly men and women and even children, if you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, were martyred and killed for the fact that they foretold and proclaimed the full truth. And you think, well, I didn't help them out any, did it? You know what? Read the book of Revelations and look at the joy that the martyrs have for eternity. The honor and blessing that the Lord will, will bestow upon the martyrs for eternity. Because when they could have backed down for, to save their own skin, they weren't willing to compromise Christ. But then here's the warning in verse 25. And I don't want this to be true of you. Because maybe right now you're sitting here listening. You're going, oh yeah, Pastor Allen, my light's lit. But nobody in my class knows I'm a Christian. Nobody in my dorm knows I'm a Christian. Nobody at work. Well, they might know I'm a religious and I go to church, but I keep it well hidden. And Jesus gives the warning. Verse 25, for the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has, will be taken away. What was Jesus saying about that? He's saying, look, your light's lit. By the grace of God, you didn't do it. You didn't deserve it. But it's lit. Because some godly person loved you enough to share Christ with you. Maybe it was your parents Maybe it was someone at school. 
Maybe it was a neighbor, maybe whoever it was, somebody loved you enough in your unfallen state that they sowed the seed upon you. And by God and his grace, he prepared the soil for you. You, very, you, you, you were just the recipient of it all. And now you don't want to share it any further. And God says, well, then here's what I'm doing to you. I'm just taking away, I'm just taking away the joy of your life. I'm just taking away your desire to grow. It's discipline. Well, I'm taking away your salvation. Your light's still lit. But you're just going to be a miserable Christian. You're just going to be a joyless Christian. You're going to have a marriage that is blah spiritually. Your kids will grow up with a mediocre influence of Christ in their lives. And you've got no one to blame but yourself. Because you're scared to tell the truth. Now, I don't have the time, but if you do want to this afternoon, read Luke chapter 19 and the parable of the ten pounds or the ten minas. I was, was going to go over it, but I don't need to. Luke chapter 19, verse 11. You can do that on your own study. We'll do it on the Wednesday nights, men's study and the women's study on Thursday nights. But that parable really just brings out the whole theme one more time. But let me just say to you guys, I don't know where you are spiritually. You can mask it really good. You can hide your spiritual life. You can act good. You can dress good. You can sing loud. You can do all sorts of things to disguise it with everybody but Jesus. But if you're more interested in how people think of you than you are in how Jesus thinks of you, there's a major problem in your life. And I don't really need to even tell you that because you already know it. Maybe you didn't realize why it was there. Now you know. Because Jesus said, I'm just taking it away from you. I'm not going to give it to you. I'm removing all the, the spiritual joy and the enthusiasm and that one-time feeling that you used to have where you were felt close to God. I'm just, I'm just taking it away from you. Because you're ashamed of me. And why am I going to bless you when you're ashamed of me? But let me just tell you the exciting joy of all this. Jesus never said at any point in time it's gone forever. It's just the measure to which you give me, I'll measure it back. Which is a completely wonderful statement of saying, let's just say to the Lord, I'm sorry, Lord. Yeah. Nobody knows I'm a Christian, or very few. And I hide it really well. And when it comes to this whole idea of how many ways are there to heaven, I never speak out. I just keep my mouth shut. I'm not bold for you. Well, Lord, okay. I just need to tell the truth. I don't need to be over the top, wild, wacky, one of those weird Christians. I don't need to be that. Just tell the truth. That's all, that's all Jesus is saying. Tell the truth. Let the light be where it's supposed to be. Up on the wall on a little shelf doing what it's supposed to be doing giving out the proper amount of light so others can see their way to christ that's all god's asking of you not hard just be what you're supposed to be all right let's pray father in heaven i thank you lord 
for Jesus Christ, who is alive, who is reigning, who is sovereign over the nations of this world. He is sovereign over the situation in the Ukraine and Russia. He's sovereign over the finances of our country. He's sovereign over the world. He's sovereign over the environment. He's sovereign over everything. And in his glory and his majesty, it is the purpose of God to use us, his redeemed people, to be the lamps to this world. And Father, I just pray that the Holy Spirit right now just brings to all of our hearts privately how bright is my light? Where is my lamp located right now? And Father, I ask that you would hear the repentant prayers of those who are sitting here this morning and saying to you, forgive me, Father. Forgive me. And restore once again the joy of my salvation. I do will not be ashamed of Christ. I will not be ashamed of his word. I will not be ashamed of my redemptive relationship I have with him. And I will not be ashamed of the truth of the word of God that says over and over and over again that salvation is found in no one else but in Jesus Christ. I will not be ashamed of that. It's my hope. It's my assurance. It's my redemption. It's what brought me to Christ through the faithfulness of others. And Lord, I need to carry it on to others as well. So Lord, forgive me and use me this week to proclaim truth for you to the glory of your name, regardless of the consequences. I love you and fear you much, much more, Lord. I'm here to serve you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer or if we can help you in any way, please go to our website at openbiblefellowship.com.